Romans chapter 9, as you have heard me talk about over the last couple studies, um, Romans chapter 9 through Romans chapter 11 is kind of a parenthetical passage in the book of Romans. One of the most difficult and yet most debated sections in all of Scripture. Much of the Christian church has been divided uh, by this section of Scripture, sometimes even militantly. And I remember my pastor out in California, um, Pastor Chuck Smith, and I don't know if he coined the phrase. I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he got it from someone else. I don't know. But uh, where I heard it from through him, it made so much sense. He said, when the body of Christ is divided, pray tell who bleeds. You think about that for a moment. If it's the body of Christ and it's dividing, it's the body of Christ that's divided. He's the one who's bleeding. And so, in the name of being right, the body of Christ has suffered intense damage over the years and continues even to this day over this passage of Scripture, this section of Scripture. What's the issue? Well, when it comes to salvation, the issue is this. Who chooses who? Who goes to Whoville or heaven? Who chooses who? Chooses who, who goes to heaven? Is it God who chooses who goes to heaven? Or is it up to man to choose and decide for himself if he wants to accept God's terms in order to go to God's heaven? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, it's probably safe to assume that that you have been confronted, considered, or even wrestled with this dilemma yourself. Is it God's choice? Is it man's choice? Who chooses who? Who gets to go to heaven? The argument can be broken down into and has uh, very popularly been broken down into two camps. Uh, two men have championed the cause. Um, one by the name of John Calvin, um, born in 1509, died in 1564. And the other was a fellow by the name of Jacobus Arminius, Jacobus Arminius, he uh, was born in 1560 and died in 1609. And so they had a four-year you know, uh, intersection or, or, or a, a crossing of, of lives there as Calvin died in 1564 and Arminius uh, was born in 1560. Uh, obviously at four years old, he wasn't, you know, Arminius wasn't debating uh, Calvin. And so what we have are two different camps. Um, there's a camp that is called the Calvinist. There's a camp that's called the Arminianist, and and they both have two different views on this passage of Scripture that we have here before us. One, John Calvin has a an acronym that kind of lays out his five points for what he believes about who chooses who. Um, it's a it's a cute little acronym. It's called Tulip, like the flower, Tulip. And each one of those letters in TULIP stand for a stance or a doctrine, if you will, in John Calvin's mind and those who espouse his views. And, and T is total depravity. 
which literally means, you know, as a result of man's fall, the entire human race is affected. All humanity is dead in trespasses and sin, and man is utterly unable to save himself. That's total depravity. Uh, the you in tulip is unconditional election. Unconditional election. Um, basically, what this means is that man is unable to actually initiate his own response to God. That it's actually in eternity past that God is the one who elected certain people to salvation and certain others to not have salvation. Election and predestination uh, are unconditional. And, and uh, they're not placed on a condition of us. They're basically placed on the condition of God. And so it's unconditional. It's not under our conditions. It's not based on our response, but it's based completely on totally on God's choice. And so that's the you. The L is limited atonement. The L in tulip is limited atonement, which means, according to the Calvinists, is because God determined that certain people are going to go to heaven uh, and be saved as a result of God's unconditional election. Well, then that God, that he, God determined that Christ should die for the elect alone, only for the elect. So there's a limited atonement. All whom God elected and for whom Christ died will be saved. But that his atonement was not meant for everyone. It was only meant for those who were elected. The I in tulip is understood as irresistible grace, which literally means that, that God draws man to himself and it's, you are, are, it's a futile to attempt to resist it because it's irresistible. It's irresistible. You have to come to God when God calls upon you and places upon your heart to follow after him. It's his grace is, is irresistible. Man must respond when God pours out his grace towards you. And then the P in tulip is perseverance of the saints, which literally means if God has elected you, he's drawn you to him, he has you know, drawn you by his grace, you are, you know... You, you have no power to resist that grace whatsoever. When you do respond to that grace, what ends up happening is that you are saved. And that because of what he did, there is absolutely no way that you can ever be unsaved. And so the P in TULIP is perseverance of the saints, which means you'll never lose your salvation. There's no possible way because you had nothing to gain it. You, had no, you have nothing to keep it. And there is nothing you can do to reject it. You can't do anything. It's, it's absolutely already determined in ages bygone that this is what's going to happen and you have no choice in the matter. Arminius, on the other hand, he has a, a uh, five points, if you will, in his, and yet his acronym is not as, as cute as TULIP. Uh, it really doesn't even make a, a whole lot of sense. His is P-C-U-R-C. And if you say it you know, loud and say it a bunch of times, you're going to sound like a chicken. It, it doesn't make sense. So we don't say that as an acronym for Arminius. But Jacobus Arminius, his, his uh, first point, P, Partial depravity, which literally means that humanity is depraved but still able to seek God. We are fallen and tainted by sin, but not to the extent that we can't choose to come to God and accept salvation with the help of prevenient grace uh, from God. Um, 
given that grace, human will is free and has the power to yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, and though there, listen, there are many variations of Calvinists and Arminiists, and some will reject some points and some will, will not embrace completely every point of every single uh, one of these or not embrace them as, as staunch as others. In fact, some might call, you know, this guy's a Calvinist, you know, and they might say to another person, well, that guy is a hyper Calvinist. You know, a hyper Calvinist would be somebody that would, that would hold and espouse every single letter and word and jot and tittle of what John Calvin said. Whereas some other Calvinists would go, well, he was a man. And, you know, there are some issues there that, that I don't totally espouse. He is a man. And so here's the thing. I do agree with his understanding. I agree with his understanding. I agree with his basic theology as it comes to the salvation of mankind. But maybe the way and the roads on which he gets there, I might not have said it that way. I might not have said it that way. Hyper-Calvinists would say, hey man, Calvin said it. I believe it. That settles it, you know. And uh, uh, so that's what you, there's determinations and, and what have you and you know, when it comes to that. Now, um, Arminius, his second point was conditional election. C, conditional election, which means that God only chooses those whom he knows will choose to believe. Uh, no one is predetermined for either heaven or hell. You see that they're much different in the way that they view salvation. Um, the third point, and I'll say talk about that here in a second, but in, in his third point, Arminius is unlimited atonement, which means that uh, basically that Jesus died for everyone, even those who were not chosen and will not believe. Jesus' death was for all of humanity and anyone can be saved by belief in him. Uh, his fourth point, resistible grace, which is opposed to Calvin's irresistible grace, right? That basic and Arminius would say that God's call to be saved can't can be resisted or rejected if a person doesn't want it. Uh, we can resist you know, God's pull toward salvation if we want to. We don't have to go to heaven if we don't want to. And his final point is C, conditional salvation, which means that Christians can lose their salvations if they actively reject the Holy Spirit's influence in their lives. And the maintenance of salvation is basically required for a Christian to retain it. And so if you fall out of the graces of what the Word of God says and you start living your life uh, you know, opposed to what the Word of God says, then you will lose your salvation. And, and so uh, those are the five points of either view. And as I say, there are those that will espouse uh, hardcore each one of those views. Um, uh, and there are others that, that, that like the idea. Now basically, they are many, or the Calvinists would say, you have no choice in your salvation. You are going to be saved because of what God did and you have no choice in the matter whatsoever. Uh, so just do what it is that the Bible tells you to do because you were predestined to do it anyways. So just do it. Um, all of this to say, you know, who's right? Calvinist, Calvin or Arminius? Uh, you know, are the Calvinists or Arminius right? And, and I would say, well, both are. And, and both aren't. As Arminius would say, you know, it really isn't up to God on whether or not a person is saved. It's really up to the individual. God did his job when he sent his son to die on a cross. 
and rose again three days later, now the ball is in man's court. Now it's an opportunity for man to respond to that call, that act of God, to respond to that. If you don't respond to that, then you're going to be lost and you're going to be, you're going to be unsaved. You're going to go to hell. Uh, you have the ability to not choose. And so therefore, an Arminius would say, it's man's responsibility to respond. To a Calvinist, you have no choice. I choose to not be named in either camp. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Calvinist or an Arminianist. Um, Paul actually rebuked people that began to run after individuals. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, he says, Paul says, Now I say this, that each of you says, Well, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. And may I add, according to what we're talking about here today, you know, they might say, well, I'm of Calvin, and they do. Or I'm of Arminius, which they do. Heated battles, heated battles. But Paul continues on, he says, is Christ divided? Really, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, he says? He wrote this. Was I crucified for you? I wasn't. Why are you saying I'm of Paul? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, were you really baptized in my name? It's going to get you nowhere. That and 25 bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Here's the thing. Paul also says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, he says, And I, brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal or fleshly people, living out after the flesh, as to babe in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Why? Because until now you weren't even able to receive the meat because you had to take the spiritual milk is what he's saying. You weren't ready to take mature food. You're still drinking milk. You're still drinking milk. There's something wrong with you, by the way, before I go on in here. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, a year, two years, five years, and you're still wrestling around and you're, you're still in that first baby steps in your walk and, and you, you don't know about the Lord, you don't know his provision, you don't know his, his protection, you don't know uh, who to call on, you don't have a walk with him, you know, it's, it, you're, you're basically, hey, your walk with the Lord is basically Sunday morning church and that's it. You are a spiritual baby. I, I, I just, you know, let me just say it from the pulpit, you're a spiritual baby. Paul's talking to you. I'm talking to you. Listen, if you still need to have spiritual milk, spiritual milk's good at a time. You know, right now, uh, you know, Jeremy and Mandy are about to have a baby. And as they have their baby, uh, guess what? That little one is going to, uh, uh, her name is going to be Camden. Her middle name is going to be Yard. Does that make sense? Camden Yard? No. Only one person got that. Good. All right. Camden Yard. It's where the Baltimore Orioles play. But little name of their baby is going to be Camden. Little boy. I'm sorry. Little boy. Sorry. Camden. Okay. Egg on my face right now. Huh? <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, the first day that Camden pops out, though Jeremy and Mandy might fire up the grill and throw some porterhouses on the, on the, the grill, 
you know, and, and, and fry up some heavy-duty porterhouses, they're not going to cut it into small bites and feed it to Camden because Camden cannot, at that moment in time, endure that type of food. It doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to digest that type of food. He needs milk. He needs milk. And so there's a time and there's a season for milk. But now, if Camden is like 16 or 17 years old, and mind you, I was in Hawaii one time and I was never more grossed out. I, I don't have a problem with mom's breastfeeding. I think it's an awesome thing. But when you got 11 or 12-year-old kids running around on the beach and then going and breastfeeding off mom in Hawaii, I'm just going, whoa, whoa. you know, it was, a, it was just, come on, come on. It, it, there comes a time where you got, do they eat meat? Do they eat meat? And as much as that was, I mean, it was a shock. You'd see there, this, this woman on the beach in Hawaii and you're going, oh my goodness. And you see everybody looking over there going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so here's the thing. Even the unsaved world looks upon that and says, that's not natural. That isn't right. That ain't right. There's something really, really wrong with that picture. I mean, I have that picture ingrained in my head for the rest of my life. I'm sorry. Even as I'm explaining it to you right now, it's, it's just coming back. I'm going, you know, wash my brain. But sadly to say, that's what happens to a lot of us if we don't grow in our Christian faith. That's what you look like in the church. If you're not growing in your walk and you've been in the faith for 8, 9, 10, 15 years and you're still wrestling around with the little elementary things of the faith, you, I'm sorry, are like one of those kids latching on to mom for the breast milk and you go, you should be eating meat by now. You should, be, you should be eating the nurturing food. You should be sinking your teeth into a porterhouse. For goodness sakes, you've got to taste one of those things. They're awesome. But you know what? Milk is all you can handle right now. Why? That's what Paul's saying. He's going, listen, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you weren't even able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able to receive it, he says. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, hey, I'm of Paul, and another says, well, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Get my name out of your mouth. That's what Paul's saying. Get my name out of your mouth. I didn't die for you. I, you don't get baptized into my name. Why do you put my name in your mouth and say, well, I'm of Paul? Stop it. You're giving me a black eye in heaven, man. Don't say I'm of Apollos. He says, are you not carnal? He then asks the question and he puts himself in there, the humility of himself. I mean, it's human nature almost to receive that kind of... of uh, Accolades. Well, I follow that guy, you know? Listen, I've never been a Chuck Smithite. I've never even been really a Calvary Chapel, you know, I'm a Calvary Chapel guy. I went just a Christian, man. Calvary Chapel, do you know Calvary Chapel, the name actually became Calvary Chapel simply because it, it's like, do you know what Calvary Chapel means? You know what Calvary means? Calvary literally means the place of the skull. Place of the skull chapel. That's where I go. Yeah, we're going to start putting a flag up, you know, the skull and crossbones, you know. 
Hey, let's go to church, man. That's the church of the skull and crossbones. You know? Golgotha. That's what Golgotha means. Golgotha Chapel. The place of the skull. That's where they took people and they crucified him. That's where Jesus was crucified. It's not the name. I like the philosophy. I like the heart. I like the, the camaraderie that I have with the guys. I like the, 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 the theology that I see in it. But man, I'm not... That doesn't you know, define who I am. Who should define who I am is Christ. That's who defines me. If Calvary Chapel is who defines me, then I'm, I'm just nothing more than a spiritual babe. It's not about Calvary Chapel, guys. Don't ever go, hey, well, Calvary Chapel is awesome. No, 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 no. Christ is awesome. Calvary Chapel is nothing. It's just simply a medium by which to present the gospel so that we can go out and do what it is that Christ has called us to do. Amen? Does that make sense? Because if we start identifying ourselves as Calvary Chapel, know this, in heaven, there isn't going to be a place for Calvary Chapel God, Calvary Chapelites. We're not going to be cruising in heaven and cruising down the street of gold and going, oh, here's Baptist Street. You know? Over there is Calvary Chapel Street. Because you know what we're all going to do in heaven? We're going to start arguing. Well, who, which one's closer to the throne? Yeah, we're, just stop. There's not going to be any of those denominational streets up there. Guess what? We're all going to be children of God. It's not about a denomination or a non-denomination for that matter. It's about Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He says, who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? We're just ministers through whom you believed. As the Lord gave to each one, I I planted, Apollos watered. But it's God who gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. So get your eyes back on the Lord. And so here's the thing. I don't want to be a Calvinist, and I don't want to be an Arminianist. I want to be a Christian. I want to look at what the Word of God says, and I want to take it, at face value for what the Word of God says. Regardless of which side of the fence you park your bum on here, I believe the issue really comes down to yours and my view of God when it comes down to who chooses who. Because really it doesn't matter which side of the camp you're on if you look at God and consider who He is. What is your view of God? Here's the thing. I'm going to ask you this question. Is God good? Or is he evil? You have to ask yourself these questions. Is God fair? Or is God unfair? Is God righteous? Or is God unrighteous? Is God truthful? Or is God a liar? Does God care? Or does God just not even give a rip about you and I? Is God trustworthy? And what I mean by that is, can I trust God to always make the right decision? Or should we be scared of God's character? Because if we cannot affirmatively answer these questions in the affirmative... then the character of God in your heart is on trial. And this chapter here, this section here, chapters 9 through 11, you will really, really, really struggle with because you'll look at God as being unfair, 
untrustworthy, not caring. Because really, really, would God really care for somebody who he created to go to hell? Do I really care about that person? No, I really don't. And if you say, well, no, God does care about them and they're going to go to hell, but that's what he created them for, is for hell, then that's disingenuous, isn't it? I created you for hell, but I really, really care about you, but you're going to suffer for eternity in hell. You have no choice about that. Oh, there you go. Well, wait a minute. I look at God and I go, I don't know, is that the God that we look at and see in Scripture? You see, there are many points in either one of Calvinism and Arminius views that are very strong. But there are many points in there that taken to the extreme can actually begin to paint a picture on the character of God that the the rest of the word of God doesn't paint. You know, there, there's a there's a, a song, you know, um, you know, that says, "I choose to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy." You know, and and those hyper Calvinists would take that view and go, hey, wait a minute, no, 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 I can't choose any of that. God already chose me, so I'm going to change the words of that song. I'm chosen to be holy, and he goes, "Stop it! Why are hey?" I choose to be. Do you choose? Do you choose? Well, no, I don't choose anything. And they're afraid of, 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 of looking at the reality that God has given them a mind and a heart to follow Him. Just do what the Word of God says. Well, I don't know. Am I going to be saved? Did God choose me or did God not choose me? Or am I choosing God or am I not choosing God? Here's the thing. Choose God. Let God figure it out in heaven. Because here's what it comes back down to. Our view of God is on trial. If God truly is good, if God truly is fair and righteous and truthful, and if he cares and if he's trustworthy, then I don't have a problem with this issue whatsoever. I trust God with his decisions. This is the point of Paul's message to the Jews in these three chapters, beginning in Romans chapter 9. He sets this stage and the foundation here in this chapter, and hopefully we can understand to the point that Paul, understand the point that Paul is trying to make here so that he, we can be even much more level-minded about such questions of who, choose, who chose who and apply what we'll learn here today and apply it to our own everyday lives, which if we listen carefully enough today, will radically change the rest of our lives from this moment on, guys. Paul talks about it. Look at in Romans chapter one uh, or chapter nine. You know, we've already talked about verses one through five. He says, listen, I'm telling you guys the truth. I'm not lying. In Christ, my conscience is also bearing witness of me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul was a Jew His heart was for his brothers that he had grown up around. He'd gone through school and high school and college years, if you will. You know, kind of putting it into our own mind here, you know. That's who he went to school with. These were his buds. These are the guys that he cracked up with. These are the guys that he ate in the cafeteria with and, you know, did some silly things, you know. 
There are people that he laughed with and joked with and, and cried with and, and, and grew with and matured with and, and he loves them. But then he came to Christ and all of a sudden there became a, a, a problem there because all of a sudden Christ was inserted into the relationship. And it's in that that if we don't look at very, the very last couple, the very last verse, if you will, the very last verse of this chapter to set the foundation for why Paul is talking about this, we will miss what Paul's heart is. He's saying, listen, it says, and, and I'll back up a little bit into verse 30 to get the context of why Paul said what he said. What shall we say then in verse 30 of chapter 9? That Gentiles who did not per- pursue righteousness they've actually attained to righteousness or even the righteousness of faith. And before we go on, remember, to the Jew, a Gentile, to the religious Jew, I should say, to the Gentile was basically created to fuel the fires of hell. God needed a lot of coal, charcoal in hell, and that's why there's many more Gentiles than there are Jews because there's going to need, need a, lot of, a lot of deaths, a lot of Gentiles to keep the, the stokes of hell burning. Gentiles will never go to heaven. They are an abomination. They're dogs. And so here's the thing. Gentiles have no place in the kingdom of God. And now all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and says, nope, it's open to Gentiles. I love them just as much as I love the Jew. Uh Uh-oh. To the Jew, it, it, it offended them. It offended them. And so Paul's saying, listen, Did the Gentiles, you know, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness, they've attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? That that they're actually going to get to go to heaven because of the righteousness that they demonstrate by faith? When in all actuality, in verse 31, but Israel, on the other hand, they pursued the law of righteousness and has not attained to the law of righteousness? He answers this question. He's saying, he's saying, so you're saying that the, that the Gentiles who actually don't follow the law, they, they, don't, they don't find their righteousness in the law. They actually find their righteousness in faith. You're saying that's what it takes to get to heaven is faith, not the doing of the law? That's preposterous. And, and what you're saying by that is that, well, the Jews, there's many Jews that actually don't go to heaven because they, they can't live up to the law. Is that what I'm hearing you say, Paul? Paul says, yeah. Well, how is it that we Jews who are trying to find righteousness through the law that God gave to us, how is it that we're not getting there? How is it that the Gentiles are going to get to heaven, but we're not going to get to heaven because we're pursuing it according to the law that God laid down? Why is it that we can't get to heaven? We're we're the Jews. We're the chosen race. We're the chosen people. Paul says, why? Well, let me tell you, verse 32, because... They did not seek it by faith, but as, as it were, by the works of the law. Now, before you go on, listen. He's saying, you thought that you'd get to heaven by doing deeds, by following a letter. But God was never interested in the letter. He was always interested in the heart. He was always interested in the heart. Bring no more sacrifices to me, he said to the Jews. They're an abomination to me because here's the thing. Though you're doing it because that's what the law says, your hearts are so far from me, it's an abomination. It stinks. I will not hear your prayers. 
Because though you're doing these things according to the, to the letter of the law, your heart is so far from me. I'm not going to hear your prayers because you literally do what it is that you're supposed to do. Hey, if you're a kid, and we've all grown up as kids, and we all know this, this rule, your parents might tell you to do something. And here's the thing. You might do it to the letter, but your heart wasn't in it. Well, I did it. Okay, literally you did it. But with a heart that wasn't there. You you understand there's a difference. That's what what Paul's saying. Hey, here's here's the reason why they didn't make it into heaven. It's because they were trying to find righteousness by a letter of the law and not by faith. And then he says, for they, the Jews, they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay... He's bringing out the the book of of Isaiah and he's also bringing out the book of Psalms. He's saying, listen, this is what the Old Testament says. This is what the Jews read. This is what you read. This is what you as a Jew would memorize. This is what you understand and what you've been a little confused on. But here's the thing. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus is talking about, or Paul is talking about Jesus, who is the scandalon. You remember we talked about that the last time we were together. The scandalon is the one who brings scandal. It's a scandalous affair that God would, that man would even think that God would become a man to the Jews. They would think it's preposterous, it's scandalous to think that God would actually create a man that he would become a man, not create him, but become a man. And he would live among us and then he would succumb and he would humiliate he would humiliate himself by becoming a man, by putting on the flesh a man, humble himself to be you know, put to death at the hands of man. This is God we're talking about. This is not the God that I understand in the Bible. My God would never allow himself to be hung on a cross and rise again three days later from the dead. And so Paul says that was a scandalous thing to the Jew. And it became a stumbling stone to where they could not get over that stumbling stone. They couldn't get over that, that, that understanding that God had to become a man because man's sin cannot be eradicated based upon his own works. That's what he was just saying here in verses 30 through 33 here. You can't find righteousness through a letter of a law. And to the Jew, it was so frustrating because I can't find righteousness through here. And so I can try, I can try, I can try, but I can never find a true peace in my heart because I'm always failing. And that was the purpose of the law, is to show that you can't do it. You and I cannot live perfectly according to the law. And then enter Jesus Christ. And and, and so Paul says, so Christ became the stumbling stone to the Jew, to my countrymen. I could wish myself accursed for the sake of my countrymen. My loved ones, my ones that I grew up with that I love so very much. I would die and go to hell if it meant that they could go to heaven. And though I know that that's not possible, it happened through one person and it never has to happen again. It happened through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus did do that. I will die on behalf of man. I will die on behalf of my countrymen. 
John tells us, you know, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But here's, I'm going to race through this real quick and I want you to see something because I have one more thing I really want to, one more point that I really want to drive in here. But Paul goes in and he begins to explain and he begins to say, hey, I'm going to take you through a logical step. And, and if you look at the book of Romans, the book of Romans used to be in some of our Ivy League, Ivy League law schools used to be as, the, as the, uh, um, uh, the template to show how an attorney can fight a case in court. You know that? You think that the Bible's in those schools today? Nah, no, but it used to be. It used to be many of those Ivy League schools were, were uh, uh, founded upon the word of God and they looked at Paul's case that he lays out all through the book of Romans and say, that's masterful. He lays out a logical argument. And so as we look at Paul from an attorney standpoint, from that, he's going, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see that how God works and that you can't put him in a box. Okay, he says, listen, it's not that the word of God, verse six, it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. Just because you were born a Jew, just because you were, you were you know, if you're not going to follow after what it is that God has called you to follow after, you're, you're not Israel. You're out. Now here's the thing. They're not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham had a couple of kids, right? His first one was a work of the flesh. His name was Ishmael. Has that made a mess today? Man, a mess that we have today. So through Ishmael and his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, God gave a promise to Abraham that through him and his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But it didn't happen fast enough for Abraham and Sarah that Sarah said, well, it's just must not going to be happening through me because I'm so old, it's not going to happen. So go ahead and take my handmaiden, go sleep with her. And I can't believe that Abraham said, okay, that's a good idea. And he does. He goes and sleeps with Hagar and she has a baby. And, and they start raising the baby up and all of a sudden, you know, God comes back to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son um, and it's through your seed that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham goes, oh, God, didn't you just see what we did? Um, we, <laughs> Ishmael, you're going to do it through Ishmael, right? No. That was not my plan, God said. My plan is to go through your wife. Surprise. It's your wife. Oh, but she was so old. Hello, Abraham, so are you. Through you. Through your wife. In fact, his wife was listening on, and she started cracking up. Through a tent. You know, she's that, that, that Miss Kravitz. She was kind of like, if you've ever watched Be Rich, you know who I'm talking about. But Miss Kravitz, she's like listening to you know, Abraham's conversation with the Lord. And he said, no, it's through Sarah. Sarah's going to have a baby. <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't even believe it. I'm even listening to this. The angel said, hey, why did your, your wife laugh? She goes, oh, I was not laughing. They go, no, you were laughing. You can't fool us. Even Sarah didn't even believe it. She couldn't believe that she'd be able to have her, her womb open. She had never had a child before. And yet it was through that that God wanted to, to bless all the nations of the earth. And it was through Isaac and not Ishmael. And so what Paul's saying, just because Abraham had two sons, 
It was through the one that God chose. Is God good? Is God fair? Is God, you know, let me get my little list back out here. You know, is God good? Is God fair? Is God righteous? Is God truthful? Does God care? Is God trustworthy? These things, listen, God chose, not Ishmael, the kids that would come from Ishmael, but Isaac, the kids that would come from Isaac. That's who the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not that people aren't going to be blessed through Ishmael, but that was not God's plan. It was through Isaac. So he goes, okay, so there's two women, two kids, one father. Where should the seed go? Where should the blessing go? Well, God chose it through Isaac. And actually, he even doesn't ever consider that Ishmael is a seed of Abraham. He says, you remember, it was, he told Abraham, he says, Abraham, take your son, your only son. Now, Ishmael was older than Isaac. Take your son, your only son, and take him to a place to sacrifice, to a place that I'm going to show you later on. And Abraham ended up taking Isaac and was going to sacrifice him on what would be Golgotha, Mount Calvary. I don't have time to get into that. It's pretty wild. But so here's the thing. Two women, one man, the seed and the blessing is only going to go through one. It was through the one that God chose. It was through a Isaac. And so here's the thing. Yeah, there's two women. There's two kids. But God chose the line that it was going to go through. He says, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. This is those who are of the children of the flesh, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. The children of the flesh is Ishmael. Remember, we already established that. The children of the flesh were Ishmael, but the children of the promise are Isaac, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah, Rebekah would become Isaac's wife. He says, when Rebekah had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, verse 11, having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to Rebekah, the older shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now before I go into verse 14, there's a couple things I want to say here. Listen. First, just because you're of Abraham doesn't mean that you're of the promise. There was a flesh line and there was a seed line, a promise line. I chose that. I chose that. It was through Isaac. Now, lest you get confused and you go, well, uh, you know, God's not fair because, you know, it's, it's a situation because there's two women involved. And so you've made it very confusing to us. Is it going to be through one or the other women? You know, God, you're showing partiality to one woman other than the other. Than the other, He goes, okay, let's take that out of the equation. Let's just put one woman in this issue and let me show you how I'm going to do this. I'm going to put one woman in here. Her name is Rebecca. It's the very next generation that goes on. I'm going to go through one woman. She's going to have two kids. The first one that comes out typically was the one that the blessing would pass on from the father to the son. But I'm not going to do that. Even before they're born, it's the second one that comes out is who I'm going to have my seed through. That's where the blessing is going to go. That's my choice, God says. The older shall serve the younger. It was not according to Jewish custom for that to happen or Hebrew custom for that to happen. And so God says, okay, I've taken out the two women. Now I've made it one woman and yet still two kids. And I'm showing you that I don't have to choose 
the way that you would choose. I'm going to choose the younger. That's what I'm going to do. Now again, is God good? Is God fair? Is God righteous? Is God truthful? Does God care? Is God trustworthy? If he is all those things, then I have to trust God in what he's doing because I believe in his plan. He said, the older shall serve the younger as it is written. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now understand, when he says hated, this is not an absolute hatred, but it's a relative to a higher choice. It's relative to a higher choice. It's, it's I just despise, I hate Esau. No, that's not what it's saying. It's, you know, Jesus actually, you know, said this same thing. Jesus said, if you, um, your, your love for me compared to your love for your parents or your wife or anyone else should be that of hatred. He who does not hate mother and father and love me is not worthy of me. So is Jesus saying, well, he's telling me to go hate my parents. No, he's saying, It's a relative. It's a comparative type of a love. Your love for God should be such that your love for him in comparison to your love for anyone else here on the earth would be almost that of hatred because Jesus isn't going to contradict himself because he also, he he would say, hey, listen, honor your father and mother. How can you honor someone you hate? That's inconsistent. The point is relative It's relative. Your love is relative from love to hate. It's that far of a gap. Your love for God should be so great that your love for anyone else could almost be construed as hatred. Does that make sense? So let me go on. What shall we say then? Okay, I got to hurry. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? So he's asking the question, is God unrighteous? Is God trustworthy? Is God fair? Paul goes, no, he's totally righteous. He's totally God. For, for, and then he goes, let's take another issue. Let, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 9, even for this same purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills, he hardens. Now, before we move on into verse 19, and don't read on because it's going to ruin this. Now you're going to look. Go ahead. No, that would be sin. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. He says... In Moses' time, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was a king's heart. It was a ruler's heart. And he had his slaves, which were the the Hebrews, and to actually have the Hebrews, the slaves, come to him and say, this is what we want to do, he he, he wanted nothing to do with that. Pharaoh would harden his heart and say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. The hardening that happened in Pharaoh's heart was a hardening that God said, your heart is hard. I will make it and confirm your decision. I will confirm the decision that you want nothing to do with me. I'll harden your heart. I'm not going to placate you. And if your heart is hard, I'm, I'm willing to harden your heart, which to me, 
is pretty scary for you out there or anybody who's listening to this that if you're playing church and you haven't ever received Christ and you just continue to play these games and you go, well, I don't know, I just don't really want to, I don't know that I really want to give my heart to the Lord. Every time you hear the gospel and you reject the gospel, you never respond to Christ. Here's the thing. Every single time you're hardening your heart, there comes a point where God goes, okay, I'll make your decision a resolve. You won't want to follow me ever. You won't want to follow me ever. You don't want to follow me. I'm not going to make you follow me. I'll make your decision firm and secure. But know this, your decision is going to send you to hell. But I'm not going to force you to go to heaven. I can make your decision strong and firm. Now, right now, if you just heard that and that put a little bit of fear into you going, okay, wait a minute, I've played and played and played. Is there really coming a time that God may just go, your decision is firm. It's there. I'm now going to allow your heart to even get harder and harder and harder because you know what? That's what you desire. I'm going to just confirm your choice. Know this, man. That's the callousness that you're putting up in heart to a point where God just goes, okay, that's your choice. Now, God's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. That kind of blows out some of that water, saying, well, God, you know, loved the whole world. Well, he didn't love the whole world. He only died for some. He only loved some. And he only died for some. No, he loved the whole world. And he gave him his son to the whole world, that whoever, not just the elect, but whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Now, I might not have all of the logical arguments in order to beat down the Calvinist or to beat down the Arminius and understand this battle's been going on for over 500 years and never can you twist one side or the other to come to the other side. It just is an ongoing battle. It's just rocks being lobbed back and forth. And I just go, you know how much time is wasted on this junk? This junk where Christians are battling back and forth. Well, no, this is it. And one's, I'm smarter than you. Stop it. You're nothing. You're just, a, you're just, a, just an ex, you know, a, a, a replacement for rocks. Jesus said, listen, if, if, if I tell these people to not praise my name, to, to quit saying Hosanna, even the rocks would cry out. So, so God can actually have rocks cry out. You and I are just replacement for rocks, man. And if we think that our intellect is so great that we can overpower somebody with our intellect, well, then God help us. I trust God. I believe God's good. I believe that God is fair and I believe God's righteous and I believe that God cares for mankind. I truly believe that God is not willing that any would perish but that all should come to repentance. I believe that I must make a choice but I believe that God made the choice before I even made it. I don't know how all that works. Jesus says, you did not choose me but I chose you from the foundation of the world. So how much choice did I have in that? I didn't. And then he goes on and he says, for God so loved the world. These are his words. These aren't just somebody else's words. These are the words of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever would choose to believe, whoever believes on me would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, now that, that says that I've got to make a response that anybody can make that response. Paul writes in, 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 in Romans chapter 10, we'll see it in, you know, in a couple weeks, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He doesn't say, 
Only the elect who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so it's all these little terminologies that we see that, that begin to get in the way of the whole and the context of who God is. And all of a sudden we stop seeing God and we begin to rely on intellect and the arguments from either side in the, of these camps. And we make no disciples. We make no disciples. We just argue. And I'm so sick of the arguments that are going on in the Christian church because, well, I'm a Calvinist. I'm an Arminius. You know what? I'm of the opinion that I, Paul, he looked at the guys that they had an argument back in the day when he was alive. And their argument was over circumcision. I'm telling you, this is, this is in the Bible, man. I'm not, don't say, hey, this is gross. You shouldn't say things like that. This is Paul. I know that there's a couple of you know where I'm going with this. Paul says, hey, there's some of those people out there that say, oh, you've got to be circumcised. Wait a minute, when you come to Christ, circumcision or not circumcision, it doesn't mean anything. It's faith in Christ. It's not faith in Christ and circumcision. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. But there were those in the Christian church that were Jews that said, well, in order to really be righteous and to be better Christian, you've got to be circumcised. Paul says, do you know what I hope and wish that those guys would do? I wish they'd cut themselves off. You know what it means? I wish they'd castrate themselves. You go, Paul? Yeah. Paul got pretty radical and said, I wish you'd just all cut yourself off. Because you're arguing over a stupid point that means nothing. Stop arguing over and let's save souls. That's what we're out supposed to be doing, not arguing over theology and doctrine. Let's get out there and save souls. Let's take the simplicity of the word of God and go out and talk to people about the word of God. And I know I'm, I'm on a soapbox right now. I'm sorry. But man, I've been dealing with this for a long time. Since 1988, I've been dealing with these battles. And it's like, I'm tired of the argument. I believe that God is good and I believe that God chooses. Yes, but I believe that I'm supposed to choose too. I have a responsibility. And God is all sovereign. And I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. I trust God that he does. And so here's it is. I'm going to present the gospel to everyone in the world that would listen. And I'm going to let God just work it all out. I let God work it out. So here's the thing. If you are listening to this and you continue to harden your heart, there comes a point where God just goes, okay, I'm going to make firm your commitment to not follow me. Next. That's a scary place for you to be. Let me finish it. it you know, Paul's just saying, uh, I'm going to have mercy on whom I, I have mercy and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, on whom he wills and on whom he wills, he hardens God. In verse 19, Paul says, well, then you're going to say to me then, well, then why does God still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Before you move into verse 20, what is Paul now addressing? He's saying, well, God's not fair then. There are people going, well, God's not fair. God's not trustworthy. God doesn't care about certain individuals. Well, there's a problem. Paul says, that's stupid. That's just stupid. Do you, look at the character of God. Consider God when you say, well then, how does God even find fault in anybody that goes to hell? It's his fault that he hardened their hearts. No, he, he goes on, he says in verse 20, he goes, but indeed, man, oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed to him who formed it 
Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he called, not even of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he also says in Hosea. I'll call, on, I'll call them my people, Gentiles, who were not my people, Hebrews, and her beloved who was not beloved. I'm going to call her beloved who was not beloved. The Gentiles were not beloved. Israel was called the beloved. Here's the thing. I'm going to call her who? The Gentiles beloved, even though they weren't called beloved back in the Old Testament, right? He says, and it shall come to pass. He goes on in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. It, 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 there in Romans chapter 10, verse 26. It... it it's quoting Hosea 10 or Hosea 1 and it shall come to pass Old Testament it shall come to pass in this place where it was said to them you are not my people he's talking about the Gentiles the Gentiles are not my people but it's going to come to pass there that they will be called the sons of the living God he's going there's coming a time where the Gentiles will be called the sons of the living God Isaiah even the prophet Old Testament prophet he even says though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea the remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Seboeth, which means the Lord of hosts, uh, the Lord of the angels, had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. And so what shall we say then? This is where we end. Here's what shall we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they've actually attained a righteousness? Even the righteousness of faith, but Israel pursuing the law of right, unri- of but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Paul says, why? Because the Hebrews, the Jews, did not seek it by faith; they did it by the letter of the law, but as it were by the works of the law. They tried to do it by the letter, and God is not going to be a, a debtor to a man by the letter. But God is searching out the hearts of mankind. It's the heart. For they stumbled, the Jews stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. He's the rock of offense. And whoever believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. Let me just finish with this. Here's the thing. It comes back down to your view of who God is. Who is God? Do I trust him with mankind? Yeah, I think I do. I trusted him with the earth. Heavens and the earth, angels, sky, stars. I am not worried that Alpha Centauri is going to hit us today. I don't worry about that. I don't think that the sun is going to explode. It has never done that before in my life. If it's happened in your life, I'm sorry, but it's never happened before. I've never seen it. I believe that that sun's going to come up, you know, sun's going to come up tomorrow and it's going to set tomorrow. And, and should the Lord tarry, it's going to come up and it's going to set. But there's coming a day where... I'm gone. I trust God with everything in life. Here's the point. Who is God to you? Do you know why the Jews had a hard time with Jesus? Because they had it in their mind that this is what God was supposed to do. And when Jesus came on the scene, that was outside of the realm of what they ever thought that God was, should do or would do. It wasn't their plan. It didn't fit their mold. 
that the traditions of their fathers, they began to put into the word of God to make effect the word of God of no effect. They began to take traditions of how man interpreted what the word of God said and then made a whole other book, many other volumes to say, well, this is how we interpret this. Can I just tell you this? If you go to a church or you go anywhere where they take the word of God and say, in order for you to understand this, you must then read our book. This book will teach you what the Bible says. I say to you right now, even if it's a Calvary Chapel that does that, you need to get up from your seat and you need to leave and just don't ever go back. Because you know what? We don't need a book to tell us how to read this. We need the Holy Spirit. He's going to confirm what this word of God says. We don't have to worry about somebody else's interpretation. Let the Holy Spirit do it. Let's take, let's look at the literal sense. When the literal sense, you know my statement. Some of you guys say it with me. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense, lest you make nonsense, right? We make nonsense when we begin to interpret our Bible in order to make it fit our own uh, views, and our own understanding. Listen, when we look at God and we get the proper view of God, it doesn't bother me how man is saved. I just want to know, is, who, is he who he says that he is? I believe so. Is taking the whole context of Scripture, looking at it and going... I may not understand it all, but one thing I do understand, you're on the throne, and you know what? There's none greater than you. And I know in heaven, we're going to say, holy and just and true are your judgments, O Lord. And so I'm not going to look in heaven and go, well, there's a person in hell. You didn't choose him? How come? That's not fair. You know what that is? When you say, well, God made this guy go to hell. That's unfair. Well, now you have a view that the character of God is, he's not fair. And that the, that the word of God is not available to everyone. When he himself, Jesus Christ, said, whosoever, he didn't exclude anyone. A whosoever is whosoever. It's not only this certain person. Whosoever doesn't exclude anyone. So here's the point. Do I trust God enough to know to make the right choices? That's where it comes down to. Is God trustworthy? And what I meant by that is, can I trust God to always make the right decision? Or should I be scared of God's character? I'm not scared of God's character. Here's how it plays out and flushes out in the rest of our life. We just got into a lot. <laughs> Calvinism, Arminianism. I did it in, in, an, in an hour, less than an hour actually. Here's the thing. We talked a lot about that. But it's more than just the Calvinist, Ar, Ar, Calvinist Arminius issue. God choosing, man choosing. It has everything to do with the character of God. The Jews missed it. They were missing it. Not all of them, but they missed it because God didn't fit their idea of how it should be done. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he became an offense to them. It became scandalous. And all of a sudden, they look at God, and if Jesus comes in, it's a scandal. No, you aren't supposed to do it this way. They didn't like the way God chose to do it. And so they rejected it. And so the, 
the point for you and I to leave with here today. Not just the understanding of this issue, but it's in every aspect. It, it, it reaches every aspect of our lives, guys. And that's in this. What God has allowed or done in your life that you sit there and go, it's just not fair. I wouldn't have done it this way. I would never have allowed this to happen in my life. This should never have gone on. This, I never should have had to endure this. I never, or that person, or this person should never have gone through what they did. Or I should never have gone through, or that person should not have done, you know, gone through this pain or whatever it might be. And we look at that, and all of a sudden we have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, we've got to look at the character of God. When I encounter those areas in my life that I don't understand, I must take a step back and consider the things that I do understand. And the things that I do understand is that God is good. And God is righteous. And God is holy. And God is right. And God is trustworthy. And God loves you and I. I cannot be more passionate about this, guys. Listen, God loves us so much. He loves you so much. He's not unfair to you. He cares for you. He allows us to go through difficult times in our life. Why? I don't know. I don't have those answers, but I know this. He does. He has the answer. And if he has the answer, it's okay to go through these situations in life, even though it deeply hurts us. It's okay. It's a plan. It's a purpose. Someday we're going to know what that purpose is. And we're going to look back in heaven and we're going to go, Oh God, look at the time I've wasted belly aching over what you were doing in my life. I, I'm so thankful that you loved me so much that you kept me through it all. I'm so thankful. Here's the thing. It reaches to every aspect of our lives, gang. It all comes down to this. What is your view of God? And if you have a high estimation and a high view of God, I have no problem on whether God chooses man or man chooses God. I'm called to understand that's what the Bible says both are supposed to do. I'm just going to follow that. I don't want to argue who's right, who's wrong, because God's right. Not a man, not a person, and not even me. God is. So I'm going to trust in that. This is what I want to live by. This is what I want to die by. And if I'm wrong, at the end of the days, I'm the most pitiful man, as Paul would say. It's okay. I'm willing to do that. But you know what it comes down to? Never take your eyes off of who God is. And always maintain a high, high, high view of God higher than anything you've ever seen, higher than you've given and afforded to anybody in your life, especially in those times of darkness where you are going through deep, desperate times. Know this, God is there and God loves you and God has a plan and he doesn't have to reveal that plan to you at this moment. He may never reveal that plan to you, but know this, God is God and he's doing something through it. And he will be glorified. That's not fair for him to be glorified. You've got a bad estimation of who God is. You're buying into the world, man. Don't do it. 
God is perfect and he always does the right thing. Always. And that's what we can hang our hat on. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. God, I didn't know if I'd be able to get through this today, and I'm glad that I did. I'm thankful that I did. I'm thankful that you allowed me to, and I pray, God, that the words that were said did make sense. I, I hope, God, I pray, that if I said anything that was outside of your will, outside of your character, outside of your truth, that, God, you would reveal that to every single person who's listening to this. And just erase it from their mind. My desire, our desire here today was to know the truth. To look for you, to see you high and lifted up. To look upon who you are and your character. You are God. And even saying that, Lord establishes so many attributes. You are all loving. You are all knowing. You are all powerful. You are at all places at all times. You've never dropped the ball. You've never said whoops. You've never slipped up. You've never allowed something to slip through. You've never made a mistake. You are perfect. We have nothing on this earth to compare you to. And I am so thankful that we don't. As we look to you, God, we can establish a stake in the ground to say, if I hang on to this stake of who is God, the truth of who God is, then whatever may come my way on this earth through the rest of my life, it doesn't matter because you know what? I'm hanging on to the stake who is God. I will hold on to the firm foundation. It will be the anchor for my soul to know that you know what's going on in my life and that you will not allow anything to happen to me apart from your will and your plan. And though we might ever, we might look at life, uh, things that are thrown our way and go, I can't believe that this is possibly in God's plan. In so doing even, Lord, we we begin to question your character again. But if we're firm in our character of who you are, we don't ask the question and we don't throw the accusatory statement of it's not fair. It's it's more so, Lord, you know what's going on. And though I may think it's unfair, you know exactly where I am and you know exactly what's going on in my heart. And so, Lord, in my weakness... Help me to be strong. And in my doubt, help me to remain faithful. And in my questions, God, please be the answer. Because I'm struggling. But I am going to lean into you all the more when I don't understand what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down, what's light, what's dark. I don't know. I'm going to lean into you because I know that that's all worked out in your mind. That's all worked out in your heart and it's a perfect plan. And so Lord, we commit ourselves to you and we submit ourselves to you. And I pray God for that person that has heard this and and 
if their heart continues to be hard, even after this, Lord, that they would soften their heart right now and just open their heart to you to receive you as their Lord and Savior. You are there. You're not going to turn away a willing heart to come to you. Draw them into your kingdom, O Lord. There's a heaven waiting for them. There's an eternity there that is waiting if they would just receive you. Not according to their intellect, not according to their way that they think it ought to go, but according to what your word says. And you say, whoever would call upon you would be saved. And so, Lord, we call upon you right now. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the revelation that you've given to us today. Now help us, Lord, to leave this, par- this, leave this place always remembering who you are, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.